0: When I was in uh, New York City a few years ago, I bumped into a famous person. No, literally, I bumped into a famous person. As I was exiting uh, a pew uh, uh, into the aisle at the historic Trinity Church in New York City, I was looking in front of me. And coming down the aisle was Jesse Jackson, and he was looking behind him. And so the two of us bumped into each other. Now, I apologize profusely. He sort of grunted and kept walking. But I get that, right? Because I'm just some random person gawking at this historic church, and and he's Jesse Jackson. I'm telling the story still a few years later, but I guarantee you this Jesse Jackson has never told the story. I bumped into Craig Bailey at Trinity Church. How many of you have met someone that you would consider famous? I've been told three times this week, once by my own daughter, that Jamie Lee Curtis is in town. I've been told that she's at Kudu's on Vandross on Friday mornings. So I'm going to stake that place out to see if you try to go see Jamie Lee Curtis. But if you've met someone famous, what did you do when you met them? Just take a picture of them? Just take a selfie with you and them? Who did you tell about it? And why did you tell about meeting this famous person? We are awed by famous people. Why? Why do we treat them differently? Why do we treat them with such deference? Why do we not treat all people the same way? See, I think that we should. In fact, I think that we must. You and I as believers in Christ... We have to have a transcendent perspective of all people. I hope we'll be convinced of that as we come to the Word of the Lord this morning. And Matthew chapter 2, if you have your Bible with you, I ask you to turn to that chapter. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. When you found Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the Word of the Living God. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, this is the word of the Lord. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and he lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you again for your word. We're thankful you speak to us. We need for you to speak to us your truth. We thank you for your spirit. So, Lord, we ask that your spirit would teach us your truth and change our lives because of it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, when we finish looking at these verses this morning, we should have... Four Transcendent Perspectives. We looked at three of them last week. Our first transcendent perspective above the world, beyond the world perspective that we have to have is our view of hope. Real hope does not come from the people or the things of this world. In fact, many of the events that occur in this world and the people who bring them about They rob us of our hope. The evil perpetrated by Herod the Great is not qualitatively different than the evil we see in our world today. And so our only hope is Jesus. Things will not be set right until he returns as the conquering king. Secondly, we saw that we have to have a transcendent view of our place. Did any of you think about unpacking your bags this week? You should raise your hand just to encourage me. Unpacking our bags, knowing that God has placed you in this physical place, possibly relational places, professional places, educational places. He's put you there for his purpose. And when we take a transcendent view of place, then you and I begin to fully invest in where we are right now. And where the Lord may have us stay. Finally, we saw that we have to have a transcendent view of our path. We can't see the path ahead of us, but the Lord sees it clearly. And it isn't a random path. We are not victims of some capricious fate. You and I, in fact, are sons and daughters of the one and only, true and living, Most High God and Heavenly Father, and we are indwelled by His Spirit and gifted by Him with His living Word. And through that Word and the illumination of His Spirit, God will guide us on the path He has for us. And so we can take a transcendent view of our path as we walk along, knowing that the path, like the place, is on purpose. We can't leave this chapter Until we've seen our fourth transcendent perspective. That is that you and I must have a transcendent perspective of people. How does God see them? What did God do to communicate his view of all people? We'll get this transcendent view first when we seek to understand God's heart. Matthew is the only gospel writer to tell us how Jesus got to Nazareth. And Matthew's the only gospel writer that tells us that Jesus being in Nazareth, him being in Nazarene, is a fulfillment of the Word of God. Matthew considers it important information for his audience to have. And and Matthew is writing to the Jewish people. It's information that Matthew believes will expose their worldview, particularly their view of people, and bring it in line with the way God sees people. It's information, Matthew thinks, that should make them ask themselves what they value, who they value, what they don't value, and who they don't value. How can he bring that about? How can Jesus, being from Nazareth, accomplish all that? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) I'll answer. The Jewish people know well that God told Abraham, their father, the head of their nation, in you all families of the earth will be blessed. All families of the earth will be blessed. Well, when God makes a statement and a promise like that, his people are required, required to ask some questions. Wow. That's quite a promise. What kind of God are you? Why would you say this? Lord, what must be your heart toward all people? This is how you began to have a transcendent perspective on all people, attempting to view them as God does. But as you know, a study of the history of the Jewish people reveals that they were never very much interested in blessing the other people the other families of the world. They did not often ask themselves these questions. Maybe they had heard this promise from God so many times, they just assumed that this is something God will do apart from our help. Or maybe, since they're already in the family of God, already in a position of power and privilege, they just... Didn't care much about people who weren't. When God has told you repeatedly, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. When God has told you, I have loved you with an everlasting love, it might be easy for you to believe that you have arrived. You're the star. You're the famous person. You're in a place of, privilege, and power. And because of that, you don't have to interact with anyone else or any other kind of people to make this true. So when you read or you hear God's word about other nations being blessed, it doesn't resonate with you. You take your position and your privilege for granted. But consider if you're a person from another nation, another family, a family not blessed with position or power or privilege, a nation where there's darkness, destruction, depravity, despair. And you hear that the one and only true and living God wants to lift you out of that darkness and destruction and despair then you might read and reread this promise of God what all families of the earth shall be blessed and if you should happen to hear a preacher preaching that promise and he starts to go on you might stop and say wait say it again okay all families of the earth will be blessed you could say no wait Say it one more time. Okay. All families of the earth will be blessed. The reality that God wants to bless you too, even though you are outside of this family of privilege and position, the reality that God wants to bring you in also, it's just too precious to pass by so quickly. See, what you hear, What I hear, what resonates with us is dependent on our perspective. The Jewish people tended not to have a transcendent perspective on others because of their position and privilege, something they received completely and purely by the grace of God. They did not understand the heart of God or what the promise of God meant for those outside of that position and privilege. They did not value bringing people in. Instead, they sought to exclude people. They were full of prejudice against people who weren't Jewish, and they justified that prejudice with God's Word. They believed that the way they treated people, the way they excluded people, is what God wanted from them. They eventually came to the place or to the condition that if they had to go to the market... If they had to interact with Gentiles there, and a Gentile is anybody who's not a Jew, you're all Gentiles. We are all Gentiles. They had this elaborate procedure of washing themselves and purifying themselves so that they could once again be clean before God, and God would therefore accept them. They believed this is what God wanted, to wash away the dirt and the filth of being around people who weren't like them. They did not embrace all of God's truth. They only embraced the parts that would enable them to retain their privilege and power for themselves. So, what is God's view of all people? I'm glad you asked. You're full of good questions this morning. (laughs) Easy answer. Genesis chapter 1. Verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Listen to how God repeats himself. In our image, in his image, in the image of God, in his likeness, he created male and female. Then we read in Acts, in Genesis 1:28, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth with what? Other people created in the image of God. Acts 17, 26, And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. All human beings equally share the image of God. Of God. The image was marred by the fall in every human being, not just some. And so it's an appropriate time to read from the Westminster Confession of Faith No sleeping. Our first parents, being seduced by the subtlety and temptation of Satan sinned and eating the forbidden fruit. By this sin they fell from their original righteousness and communion with God and so became dead in sin and wholly defiled in all the parts and faculties of soul and body. They being the root of all mankind, the guilt of this sin was imputed And the same death and sin and corrupted nature conveyed to all their posterity, descending from them by ordinary generation. From this original corruption, whereby we are utterly indisposed, disabled, and made opposite to all good and wholly inclined to all evil, do proceed all actual transgressions could be a a dim picture. So you see, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you have or don't have. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. We are all created in the image of God. And that image is marred and defiled in all of us by sin. And we're all going to die because of it. And our only hope for all people is Jesus. You might say it like this. We are all in this together, and none of us is going to get out of it alive. So based on these facts from Scripture, you would think that human beings would embrace each other. And that we as believers in Christ would work together with the gospel to make sure that when other human beings pass from this life because of death, that the other side of the grave for them is a place of wonder and beauty because it's a place where Jesus is the one in whose image we are made. You would think we would work together to bring justice to those who can't get it. You would think that those who have power and position purely because God has blessed us and graced us with it, that we would use that on behalf of those who don't have it. The reality of how the Jewish people behaved, it always humbles me because none of us are that different. And it makes me ask, Lord, what parts of your truth am I missing that's right in front of me in your word? Where are my spiritual blind spots? How does my perspective on the world prevent me from seeing and from having a transcendent perspective of all people? What important truths from your word do I pass over because my life experience doesn't cause that truth to jump out at me? How do I, Lord, attempt to secure And justify the way I live. To protect the way I live. By not seeing and and seeking after your heart so that your ways become more my ways. And your thoughts become more my thoughts. And your heart becomes more my heart. I would plead for all of us this morning. That we are always humble before the word of God. That we would seek, all of us, to have authentic relationships with all kinds of people who bring all kinds of perspectives to the Word of God so that we can understand this Word in its fullness, the parts that we miss, and have God's heart toward all people. This is difficult. It always has been. And it always will be. So having seen the heart of God first, secondly, you and I need the help of God. Think about the great apostle Apostle Peter. He didn't have the right view. Even after he, he was the mighty preacher, even after Peter had seen thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people come to faith in Christ through his preaching, he still did not have a transcendent perspective on all people. So he had to have God's help, and and God gave him that help. God came to Peter in a vision, a vision in which Peter argued with God about his wrong view of people. But it took the vision for Peter to conclude this. Truly, Peter says, I understand that God shows no partiality but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That's a transcendent perspective on all people. God knows that each one of us needs his help and having this view, so he gives it to us. In this passage this morning, look in verse 22. Verse 22 is, is where we read about Joseph being redirected from Judea to Galilee and to Nazareth, and we're told there by Matthew that this is the fulfillment uh, of the Word of God. Somehow, Nazareth, the place, communicated what God wanted to communicate about His Son, His purpose, and His view of people. How? Well, that's another good question. Let me answer it for you. Let's talk about Nazareth. Nazareth was built mainly... "...on the western and northwestern slopes of a hollow among the lower hills of Galilee. It lies about midway between the Sea of Galilee and the, and the Mediterranean. The road to the plain into the coast goes over the southwestern lip of the hollow." Now, you know why I read that to you? Because it mentions the word hollow twice. And you know where I'm from, Right? Bailey, holler, as we say it. So you can imagine my excitement when I'm reading this and knowing that Jesus, like me, grew up and lived in a holler for 30 years. That's my story. But then Jesus got out, and that's my story too. (laughs) Praise God. Anyway. The point is that God shows that this person of Jesus would come from this specific place, from this hollow. The place that was of no obvious importance. A place that was, in fact, looked down upon. And I'm just going to give you one example from the New Testament, though there are others. After Jesus called Philip to be his disciple, Philip went out and he found Nathanael. And Philip said to Nathanael, we have found him. Of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? The NIV reads, Nazareth, exclamation point. Can anything good come from there? The New Living Translation reads, Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Both translations, all of them attempting to communicate this. Prejudice of place. What of any value or significance could possibly come from a place like that? By the way, did I tell you that the West Virginia governor's mansion burned? It burned all the way down to the axle. Did you know that the toothbrush was invented in West Virginia? Otherwise, it would be called the teeth brush. <laughs> and then there's this burning question. If a man and woman in West Virginia get a divorce, will they, will they still be cousins? <laughs> okay, so we're, we're done now. Harmless jokes, and guess what? I get to tell them because I'm from that place, and they do not bother me. But jokes could often cover with humor some prejudice that we have, what we really believe is true. And the point is that the prejudice of people prevented them from having a transcendent view of other people. They reduced people to the place they're from from the life experience they had, and they make assumptions about other people based on that prejudice and dismiss them for it. Given where Jesus is from, it would be easy to bump into him, especially in his first 30 years, and take no note of it. Not to value him. After all, he's just a nobody from Nazareth. But in having Jesus live and grow up in Nazareth, God is giving us a living illustration of the kind of Messiah that Jesus is. When we get to Matthew 27, and it's going to be a long time, so it's okay to look ahead. You'll forget by then. Matthew quotes extensively from Psalm 22. So he turns Psalm 22 into a messianic psalm about Jesus. And we read there of Jesus. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by all people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Of course Jesus came from Nazareth. Psalm 69, 20. Reproaches have broken my heart So that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. Of course, Jesus is from Nazareth. Isaiah 49 7. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations. Of course, Jesus came from Nazareth. Isaiah 53, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Of course, Jesus came from Nazareth. And so he shatters our perceived ideas and images of greatness and fame. He exposes our prejudices so that all people may know they can come to Jesus. God's transcendent perspective brings salvation from unexpected places through his power even from a hollow dweller. Is that why God brought about this plan? To have Jesus come from Nazareth to help prideful people Understand God's heart toward all people. Jesus' story, it's one of humiliation. Yes, He dwelt in all eternity past in a place of privilege and power. Jesus was the greatly loved Son of God, a privileged place, a powerful place, because the world and all that is in it is created and sustained by Jesus. But there was no pride Or prejudice in Jesus that would prevent him from humiliating himself and coming to live among people like you and me. And so when we look at the person of Jesus, how could there be prejudice and pride of place and pride of power and pride of position in us? Nazareth should knock it out of us. Nazareth should become for us the symbol of the humility that you and I should display before all people who are made in the image of God. We have no place before God except for the reconciled position we now humbly enjoy because of what Jesus did for us on the cross Though we did not deserve it, but by faith can believe it. So when we rightly see Jesus, his humility, his home in Nazareth, and what he did for us, then we rightly see ourselves. And we are helped to rightly see others. To have a transcendent view of all people. To go to all people in all places, in humility, knowing that we equally stand in the same need of the same help that only Jesus can give. To be willing, to be identified with Jesus of Nazareth. Paul's accusers in Acts 24 said, we found this man, Paul, to be a plague one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Now knowing what it means to be from Nazareth, are you willing to be called a Nazarene for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of those who need him? To use or to maybe give up altogether your position And your privilege and your power for the sake of the gospel. To embrace the message of the angel, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. We have in our culture, we have in the city around us, people without power or position or privilege. So we have to remember Nazareth and have a transcendent view of them all. We have people around us with power and position and privilege. We have to have a transcendent view of them as well. We have to have this view of all people. The gospel is for time and space. This time, this space, this world, the gospel is addresses every crisis and we have a crisis in our world today more than 65 million 65 million people are refugees or internally displaced people and if these people were a nation they would be the 21st biggest nation on earth how many of you watched the opening ceremonies of the Olympics on Friday night. Did you watch that? You know, we honored those athletes with a parade, right? They, they paraded around in front of the spectators, you know, big smiles waving their flags. I want us to at least honor or acknowledge the 65 million people from the countries of the world that are refugees. That Jesus of Nazareth can help. This isn't a political statement, this is a reality of our world. So I want us to do this, knowing that you're not making a political statement. But just out of recognition for these 65 million refugees in our world, let's stand as they come before us, nation by nation. Will you stand? Just as I read, just like the Olympics, the flags. South Sudan, 4 million refugees. Iraq, 5.6 million. Iran, 180,000. Ukraine, 2.1 million people. Libya, 640,000 refugees. Syria, 12.6 million. Pakistan, 1.3 million. Central African Republic, 969,000. Myanmar, 923,000. Democratic Republic of the Congo, 3.5 million refugees. Venezuela, 52,000. Yemen, 3 million. Burundi, 742,000. Colombia, 7.7 million. Somalia, 2.7 million. Nigeria, 3.2 million. Sudan, 2.9 million. Afghanistan, 5.2 million refugees. You may be seated. Now you would think that Preaching on short notice would have made me shorter this week. <laughs> you would assume wrongly. We're almost finished, but I want to let you hear the voice, the voice says of some of these refugees. Mara is 29 years old. She fled from Iraq. She worries about her da- daughter starving and shivering in a cold and damp place. She says, we are certainly tired having usually restless nights, doubtful how to earn our living tomorrow. Anastasia, 27, fled from the Ukraine. Should I hope to return to normal life, a life where I'm not constantly nervous, where the ground is not constantly giving way? Akram fled from Libya, 28 years old. I do not have a home. I live in the middle of the street. I sleep where I can. In order to survive from time to time, I work in the fields collecting fruit and vegetables. What do I expect from the new year? I hope to see my brother again. I hope to find a stable job. I'm afraid of not finding a home. I'm afraid of having to sleep in the street for the rest of my life. Oliver, 19, from Burundi, fled to a camp in Uganda. I hope in 2018, above all, that Burundi will become peaceful again so that Burundi daughters and sons can live there together without fear of being killed or unjustly imprisoned. Being away from my country, my family, and all that I knew is tough. It's even tougher now that I am a refugee who has nothing. And finally, Orlando from Colombia says, I don't have any quality of life. That can be called dignified. Those of us who were displaced and fled still have no support. I'm a victim in the eyes of society, and that means a lower status. I hope that cha- that changes in 2018, but I'm afraid it won't. Those are some of their stories. We need to go to these people, right, and tell them about Jesus of Nazareth, the kind of Savior who understands. We can give them what they do not have in this world, position, children of God, power, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Maybe God's calling you to go and work among these people to help in this worldwide crisis. We have in our own culture, and our own city, minorities. We have here people who are marginalized. We have to tell them about Jesus of Nazareth. Surely a Savior like this, a Savior from Nazareth, truly is for all people. So I suppose at the end of the day, the question for us is, who should the people of God, that's you and me, who should the people of God not have a transcendent view of? Who should the people of God not help? The choice is ours, how we live our lives. Will we choose to live as those who have been (laughs) forgiven by Jesus? and extend that same forgiveness equally to others? Will we choose to show compassion to all people? Will we work to build bridges that connect us to other people instead of walls that separate and divide us? Will we seek to live life from the perspective of others? Will we ask, Lord, build your kingdom in me And around me. And through me. Will we seek to let the power and the glory of Jesus of Nazareth shine through us? Will we share Jesus, the bread of life, with others so that their hungry souls and their hungry stomachs are filled with the goodness and the life and the love of Jesus? Will we use the power and the position and the privilege with which God has graciously blessed us on behalf of the people who do not have these things. We will do all of this if we have a transcendent view, God's view of all people. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Your word, none of it is included for us by mistake. It's all part of your plan that we should know these stories, that we should know these truths. and What a blessing it is that Jesus, the creator and the sustainer of the universe, star to the extreme, should come from a place like Nazareth. Lord, thank you for that. Who couldn't come to one like Jesus of Nazareth? Lord, I pray for us as a congregation. Thank you for the way that you have blessed so many of us with so many good things. Thank you, Lord, that for most of us, we we have position and we have power considered against many other people of the world. And I pray that you would help us see rightly why you have given us these good gifts. It's not for ourselves. It's not to promote ourselves. It's not to pad our resume. It's not to elevate ourselves above others. Lord, you have given us these things so that we might go to work on behalf of those who don't have them. So Father, I pray that you would do for us what you did for Peter. Lord, even when we argue with you, even when we tell you all the reasons those people, whoever those people are, are in the condition that they are in or, or why it's their fault that they are the way they are, all the excuses we make, Lord, for not having a transcendent view of all people. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see how wrong we are, that you would help us to see all people created in your image, and that we would equally help all of them with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.